Uh, friends, you can turn in your Bible to the book of Colossians. We're going to get back into uh, this letter of Paul, Colossians, and we're in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, and uh, as, we, as I prepared for this morning, I uh, thought a lot about uh, the concept of a new year, uh, what would I want to share with you, and I think it's God's kindness that this text is before us. I think it's the very message we need to hear uh, this morning. So Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, that's where we'll be spending our time uh, this morning. And the Word of God reads, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray as we dive deeper into the Lord's word this morning. Father, thank you for your truth. We thank you for our church that continues to herald it day after day, year after year. Thank you for the faithfulness of the men and women who've ministered here. And we pray that even as we look to what is new for us in Uh, 2023, that we would give our hearts uh, to the same old message of the gospel, one that we would never tire of, a Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and that we would look to Christ so that in him we would become more as you want us to be. We thank you for your word. May it impress its truth in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is a a new year, and you know what we do this time every year. Um, we got to come up with some resolutions. What are we going to do? What are we going to change? What are we going to strive for? What are we going to go after? I don't know. Maybe you spent some time already in a diary or with your family talking about what this new year would bring for you and what you would strive after. And the list tends to be pretty similar year after year for most people. Um, Some of us want to lose weight. Some of us want to read more. Some of us want to sleep more. Some of us want to get better grades. We want to be more diligent in our studies. Some of us want to make new friends. Some of us maybe need to lose a few friends. Uh, Some of us uh, want to uh, be a more loving member of your own family. Some of you want to improve your attitude about life and about the way that you do things. Some of you are actually nearing that time of life where you're going to begin to take those next steps. And so maybe you're hoping to achieve getting your permit or your license. Or maybe you're hoping to get into the college that you've been dreaming of. Maybe you're hoping to get the job that you've always wanted. But a new year does set in for us this almost fresh opportunity by where we make an assessment of our lives and where we're at and where we need to be. 
Every year this comes about, and every year we think about the things we want to achieve and the goals we want to have. The amazing thing is, studies would show that year after year, 70% of people give up on this kind of thing just a few months into the year, and by the end of the year, over 90% of people have given up on their resolutions altogether. Everyone gives up at some point. New year, new me for two weeks, and then it's over. Every single year, it seems to be the trajectory of how things go. And if that statistic is true, that means the same is true for many of us in this room. We set lofty goals, high goals, high standards, but it's so hard to achieve them, isn't it? It's so hard to achieve them, and I think the reason is that with every fresh year and every new opportunity, We're reminded that in order to change at all and transform at all, if we're going to look into this new year and think about ways that we can grow and develop and change, I think we have to make a right assessment that those things aren't going to happen just because we want them to. And every year people fall into that trap. I will change because I want to. The issue is people don't change because they want to. And this is the very reason that the gospel has come to us. People are not good at changing because they desire to. They're not good at changing because they want to. They're not good at changing because they have the power to. In fact, the very opposite is true. People only change because the power of God changes them. And so as we look into a new year, and as you think about the different goals and the different uh, things that you would like to aspire to, the ways that you would like to grow and develop in a new year. My prayer is that you would make it fit very much what Paul is reminding us here in Colossians 3, 1 to 4. And that reminder is that if we are to change at all, it mustn't be based on our own power or our own desire, our own will, or our own drive to transform ourselves. If we are to be changed, if we are to grow, if we are to develop at all, it must be because we've been made new. It must be because there is a different power at work in us. It must be because we have given up all our stock in ourselves and we've placed all our stock in Christ. If something new is to come about in you, something new of value, something new of worth, something new that matters, it will only be because it's driven by the glory, the power, the supremacy of Jesus. There are many ways that you can think of developing and changing and growing this year, but all of them must center on the person and work of Christ. If you're going to alter anything about your life, make it something that matters and make it something that depends on the work of God to bring that about in you. Those who are being transformed into the image of God, those who are being transformed to be more like him, those who are being transformed to live a life that is pleasing unto him, those who are being transformed to live a life that honors the Lord, it's happening not simply because they want to, It's happening because God is at work in them. That's the message we have before us this morning. 
And that message, it, it, it sets its trajectory in this passage by three rhythms, three ways that uh, we can expect new life to spring forth from broken vessels. It's first, by having a seeking heart, having a seeking heart. Second, it's having a set head. And third, it's having a steadfast hope, a seeking heart, a set head, and a steadfast hope. Firstly, we'll look at this through the lens of verse 1. And Paul, from the very beginning of this new uh, trajectory in his letter, this new chapter, he begins with the reality that this new life that you seek to experience, the change that you so often seek to see in your life, it's all connected to who you are in Christ. It's not connected to your works. It's not connected simply to your desires. It's not connected simply to your willpower to change. It's connected to the person and work of Jesus. And so he begins, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If then, probably is better translated since, because. It's not supposed to be conditional. In fact, it's the opposite. It's supposed to be secure. It's supposed to be sure. It's supposed to be guaranteed. Since you have been raised with Christ. Now that's a statement, isn't it? Since you have been raised with Christ. I mean, you look around the room right now and you might look tired, but you're not dead. It's good news for us. It'd be really weird and really chaotic right now if you were. What do you mean, since you've been raised with Christ? All of us are still here. We haven't died and resurrected. But Paul speaks about it in a way in which that's already true of you. And how is that so? How is it true of you that though you have not yet died, you are already raised with Christ? It's true because Christ has already risen. And this is the beauty of our relationship with God. It's the beauty of our full union with Christ. That everything that is true of Christ is now true of us. Those who have believed upon Christ in faith, they are made righteous. In his death, they are now dead to sins and dead to trespasses. They are forgiven. They have a perfect unity with the Father. They have a perfect relationship with the Godhead. But what's more, Paul is saying this. Those who believe in Jesus, you can credit to them right now as though they have been raised. That's the beauty of the gospel for you. You are so connected to Christ. Because of your faith in him and because of his love for you, that it's accounted to you right now, the assurance that you have risen in him. In Romans 6, it explains this same concept to us in a different way, and it gives us a better understanding of it. Here in Romans 6, verse 3, Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so what does that mean for us? It means this. 
Resurrection is guaranteed for you in Christ, but it's also evidenced in you by a new pattern of living. If you are one that Paul is speaking of here, that you are a person whose resurrection is guaranteed because of Christ, his risen and complete sovereign reign over the universe at this present hour, if you are part of his family, it is not simply that one day you will rise again, it's that today you live a risen life. It's as we already discussed in the previous chapters. You have been, chapter 2, verse 13, you were dead in trespasses and sins, but God has made you alive together in Him. And God has taken your sins and nailed them to the cross. God has separated you from the old way of life, and God has given you the power to walk in a new one. And so since you have been raised with Christ, you have everything you need to live for Christ. Because Christ is no longer in the grave. Because Christ is no longer dead. Because Christ gave his life and took it back up. Now you have full assurance that you can do what pleases God. What you never could do before. What you could never do in your own strength. What you could never do no matter how hard you tried. You now can do. Why? Because you are so tethered, so connected, so united with Christ that his resurrection power is yours. And it's evidenced in the fact that you live a new life. And what does that life look like? Well, one, it looks like you have a seeking heart. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And some have thought this to be, you know, seeking the things that are above. I'm looking for those awesome blessings that will come from heaven one day, the super palace that I'm going to get, and all the food we could eat without ever gaining any weight, and uh, all the fun times that we're going to have, and playing a full-court basketball game with Jesus where none of us ever wins, but we're having a great time. That's not the point of looking to things that are above. In fact, he makes it so clear for us. Seek the things that are above. What things? Well, the things where Christ is. If you want to look for things that are above, think about where Jesus is and all else will not matter. That's Paul's point. When you think of heaven, I wonder if you think of him. When you think of future glory, I wonder if you think of him. Or do you simply think of all the things that he wants to give you? The biggest blessing that will come to us when we enter the gates of heaven, is that we will see his face. And so Paul's desire for you is that you would have a seeking heart, one that seeks the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It's a beautiful picture of just how worthy Jesus is. Jesus now seated at the right hand of God. It's a, it's a picture of the worth of his life, that he truly was perfect, And because of that perfection, the words in Philippians 2 are true. He has been given a name that is above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow. That's who he is. And so he's been made preeminent, just as Paul has said in Colossians chapter 1. He has primary place over all things. 
And so now he is seated at heaven as a sovereign, as a ruler, as a king, as one who reigns, as one who will never be contested, as one who cannot be rivaled. No one will come in and take his place. This is where he is. And that's who we look to. We seek him. When Paul urges us to seek the things that are above, he's not thinking anything else other than Christ. It is to fix our gaze on Jesus. And the question is, how do we do this? Well, seeking, it's a word that means to pursue. It means to run after. It doesn't just mean that you're looking for something. It means that you're actively going out and trying to find it. It's what you've heard us discuss before. It's the beautiful portrait of Luke 15. It's what a shepherd does when he loses a sheep. It's what a woman would do in her home if she had lost a precious coin. It's what a father would do if his precious son had left the home. He would run after him the moment he could find him. Those who want to find something, seek it. Those who want to find Christ, seek him. Absolutely because he first found us. We recognize that. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. But if Christ has found you, would you have no desire, no affection, no, no rhythm in your heart to pursue him? It would make no sense to say that Christ has found you, but for you to never seek him. In a loving relationship, it takes two people coming together, looking for one another. Christ has already done his part. He has come to seek and save his lost sheep. He has come to find his people. And now we are called to pursue him with everything that we have. Seek the things that are above a seeking heart, someone who runs after Christ, someone who pursues Christ. And there are many things that you could pursue. There are many things you can run after. And there's many things that you are doing that for. There's many things that you see your peers doing that for. There's many things you see your friends doing that for. And none of it has been worth it, has it been? You see the discontent around you. You see the dissatisfaction in this world. You see the lostness of souls looking for answers, looking for truth, looking for hope and never finding it because their gaze is not set on what is above where Christ is. Is that you? Is that your heart? Paul would call you today, give yourself to a new way of life, one that's been granted to you by Christ himself by his grace and his mercy alone. One, because he in his essence is love. And when you believe upon him, you will be given the ability to seek things above. You'll have a seeking heart, one that seeks Christ and one that seeks his glory. Now, in order to do that, Paul tells us that secondly, you need a set head. Verse two, set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. And that's a great reminder for us because in order to seek something, you would actually need to desire to do so, right? You won't run after something that you don't want. 
you know, I married Danny because I was persistent, and she was beautiful and gorgeous and funny. She loved to serve Christ, and so I sought her. And the reason was because of all the things I said and because my mind was set on it. I had no intention on giving up until she told me, unless she told me that it was creepy and I should stop. And then I would have for a week. But, but the reason that I pursued my wife and I wanted to be in relationship with her, I wanted to marry her, it's not just because, you know, here's an option. No, it's because I wanted to. My mind was set for that action. My mind was set. My affections were set. And this is actually the message that Paul has for us. To set your mind, it's not simply talking about your brain. It's so much more than that. It's your whole being. It truly is your desires, your affections, the things that you love. Set your affections on things above. He repeats himself. Set your affections on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. It's interesting because when Peter is rebuked in the Gospels, for telling Jesus, there's no way we're going to let all that you're saying happen to you. Jesus does tell him, get behind me, Satan, which we all remember. He also tells him, your mind is not set on God, but it is set on man. Isn't that fascinating? The issue was Peter could not recognize that he was placing the will of man before the will of God. And that's a hard thing to do. It comes at a great cost. It can be uncomfortable. It can be difficult. But Paul says, set your mind, your affections, your very being on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. What's beautiful is Philippians 4, it gives us a reminder of this. And we've, you've probably read this passage an infinite number of times. But I wonder if you've recognized the parallel that is happening between these two passages. In Philippians 4, 7, Paul writes, The peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what does he say immediately after that? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Do you see the connecting point? Those are things that are above. Things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Set your mind on these things. But where do you find those things? What is the basis of all these things? It's a mind and a heart that is guarded in Christ Jesus. If you are to think about things that are above, about the spiritual realities, 
the new life that you've been given, a life that is now given to purity, a life now given to love, a life now given to what is commendable, a life now given to what is honorable, a life now given to what is true, then you must fix your mind on Christ. It's not what teenagers, it's not what young people, it's not what anyone is prone to doing. So often our mind wanders into things that do not profit us and do not help us in being more like God. It's easy to think about the examples where we give our minds to evil things and wicked things, but I'll tell you what I think is actually something that you're more prone to. Instead of giving your mind to evil and wickedness, which I'm sure you do, One of the greatest dangers for our generation, for your generation, isn't necessarily what you give your mind to. It's what you don't give it to. Or maybe I put it this way. It's that you're mindless. You've been given every means to think about nothing. You can scroll and scroll and scroll, amuse yourself to death, to sleep. You can listen and laugh to music and videos all day long. A lot of it not being bad at all. It's just funny. It's just fun. It's just another game. It's just another video. It's just another thing. Nothing wrong with it, except for the fact that you are being made out to be someone who is mindless. That's not what Christ wants for you. Christ hasn't made it so that you would do absolutely nothing with your life, that you would waste away and decay as you simply play games and watch videos and do things that may not be evil on the outside but profit you very little on the inside. Paul's desire, because it is Christ's desire, is that you would do something with your mind. And it is that you would set your mind on things above. That you would tell the world, I no longer am a citizen here. I am now a citizen in heaven. And so because of that, I will give my mind to Christ and I will allow him to do in me what he wills. Is that your life? Or are you, as Paul says in Philippians 3.14, are you geared to say, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Does your life have some direction? Does your life evidence that it's going somewhere? Or are you stagnant? Have you set your mind to the things of the earth? Whether it be wickedness or evil, sexual promiscuity, the lostness that exists in this world about identity and gender, into the lies that exist in the places that you go that don't promote the gospel in Jesus? Are your minds set there or are they set on the truth of Christ and the things that are above? This is possible for you because Christ has made it so. But it's very costly. To set your mind on God, it comes with a great cost, and all true believers have paid that cost. And verse 3 reminds us of it. If you have a seeking heart and if you have a set mind, it'll be because of this. Verse 3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Do you want to live a life that pursues after Christ? You must die. Do you want to live a life in which your mind is set toward the things of God and not the things of this world? Where your mind is secure on what Christ has done for you and not confused by all the things the world offers that never satisfies? Do you want that? Then your life must die. For the moment that you lose your life, you gain His. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Here again, Paul points to this ever wonderful reality of just how united with Christ you are when you believe in Him in faith. Those who've believed in Him, they lose their life, yes, but they gain access to Christ. And because of that, they have gained access to God. It's an interesting way of putting it. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's many things that this actually means, and here's a few of them. Number one, it means that your life is, has total union with Christ. It means that your life has total union with the Godhead. 1 Corinthians six seventeen: he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And so for your life to be hidden with Christ in God, it means that because of your faith in Christ and because of his love for you, you are now as close to God as his son has always been. It also means your life being hidden with Christ in God. It also means that you won't be understood in this world. Your life will be a mystery to a watching world. They won't fully understand why you do what you do and why you believe what you believe. Your life isn't easily understood by them. It's not easily accepted by them. It's not wanted by them. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person doesn't accept the things that the, of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Your life is hidden with Christ in God because only those who have believed will understand it. Lastly, it means that your life is fully secured in who God is. That if you have lost your life, but you have gained Jesus's, you have no need to worry, both today or ever. The truth before us in Romans 8, this precious truth, it's speaking of you if you've believed in him. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you've lost your life, good. Because what you gain in Jesus is full and final security for all eternity. You could not do that for yourself. 
You could not earn that for yourself, but it's been freely given by Christ. Those who have believed in him have that. And those who have believed in him and have lost their life for the sake of being hidden with Christ in God, they are capable of living in the newness of life described here. Only when you have lost all that you have, only when you've lost all of yourself and you've given yourself over to God and you've allowed God to work in you, then you will be a person who can set their mind on the things above. And then you'll be a person who seeks after that which God desires. Is that you today? As you think of a new year, fresh opportunities, the friendships that you have, the sports that you play, the studies that you're given to, the schools you want to go to, the careers you want to have, the family that you're a part of, will your life be one that models in every sphere of life that you're setting your mind toward Christ and that in that you're also pursuing him? When we say that Christ is first place in everything, when we say that we set our mind to him and that we seek after him, we're not saying that Jesus is number one and then, you know, family is number two and then, you know, pizza is number three and then, uh, you know, school is number four and sports number five. No, we're, we're saying that in your family, Jesus is number one. And in your sports, Jesus is number one. And in your school, Jesus is number one. And in how you study, Jesus is number one. How you make friends and how you relate to other people, Jesus is number one. How you think about money and how you spend it, Jesus is number one. How you talk to people, how you talk about people, Jesus is number one. That's what it looks like to have a mind set on Christ and to be someone who pursues after him. You have a seeking heart, a set head, and all of this because of Jesus, because your life is now his life. It's no longer you who lives, but he who lives in you. And someone who has these two things surely has the third thing that we see here in this passage. If you have a seeking heart and you have a set head, thirdly, you have a steadfast hope. You have a steadfast hope. Verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the beauty of the Christian life. It's holistic. It's all-encompassing. It knows no bounds. It's not something you wait for, and it's also not something that you do now, and it pays no dividends later. It's not something that you work toward your whole life, and then in the end, there's nothing. No, absolutely not. Both are true. There's present realities for us present blessings for us, that we get to set our minds on the things above, seek the things that are above, and in that find God's blessing, but also the blessing that those who persevere, those committed to that life, those who commit to living in this way, they have full assurance that when Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with him. In other words, Those to whom God has promised life, they will get life. 
those to whom God has promised to rescue, they will be rescued. Those to whom God has promised glory, they will get glory. Because Christ is coming again, isn't he? Christ came once to deal with sin and to atone for our sin and to forgive us. But he's coming again. And at his second coming, all those who've believed in him, they will not sin anymore. They will not struggle anymore. They won't have to set their mind or seek anymore because he will be with them and they will be with him. In the end, we have a steadfast hope. And our anchor in that hope is in the reality that everything that Christ has promised so far, he's done good on. And so when Christ says that he's coming for us again and that he's going to take us into glory with him and that fully and finally we will be with him forever, no longer struggling, no longer sinning, no longer in sorrow, but only in joy, we can believe God because God is always believable by his word. Question is, is Christ your life? This isn't true if, you know, you've got one foot into the whole Jesus thing and one foot out. This isn't true because you sit here on a Sunday. This isn't true because you grew up in a Christian family. This isn't true because you might have some Christian friends. This isn't true because you've got a Bible reading plan. Happy for that. Those are all really good things. This is only true if you have given up on yourself and you've fully given in to God. That's the question for you. And in a new season, a new start, a new opportunity, as we look to a new year, there's no better message that I could think of sharing with you and by God's sovereignty and providence that is before us today in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, than to ask you, is your life his life? Are you still seated on the throne of your life or have you finally given that over to Jesus? Have you done that yet? And trust me, I get it. You're not going to be perfect in that. In fact, we can look to a guy who was in your shoes many, many years ago. His name was Jonathan Edwards. When he was 18, he was called to be a pastor at a church. And on his way there, uh, shortly before the new year, he desired to make for himself a set of resolutions. And so, you know, it makes sense. New Year's resolutions, resolutions for a Puritan guy, you know, it's all coming together. And the reason he did so is he wanted to set a trajectory for himself in life and in ministry. He does so somewhere around November, December. He writes out 70 things that he wants to commit to as a Christian and as a new pastor of this church. By January 2nd, he's writing in his diary about how much he's failed to keep his resolutions. But do you know what he says in the end of it? He says, the reason is I continue to depend on myself and not the grace of God. I ask you now, does your life depend upon him? Are you given to change and transformation not based on your desire to change and not based on your power to change, but on his? Is the grace that saved you going to be the same grace you're going to depend on 
to change this year, to become more like Jesus, because that's the only hope you have. That's the only hope any of us has. And that's the message that Paul has here before us, that if you've been made new by Christ, allow Christ to continue to make you new day after day. The struggles will come. The shortfalls will come. You're going to stumble along the way. You're going to sin along the way. But all the while, you know that his grace that took you from death and now has given you new life will sustain you and it will encourage you to continue to pursue after him. Is that your life? Have you given up stock in yourself? And have you given yourself to Jesus? And if you have, I pray that this new year would be met by a continued zeal, continued passion for Christ. I pray also that it would be met with a passion for telling others of the new life that you have found. That if you are someone whose life is described here, someone who's been given new life in Christ, someone who's seeking after him, whose mind is set on him, whose hope is steadfast in him, why would you keep that to yourself? Make it your goal this year. Make it your goal this new season to strive for Christ and to be like him. To live in righteousness, but also to tell others of what's offered to them in Jesus. Don't keep it to yourself. Selfish Christians don't exist. We all, like Jesus, must go out and tell others there is hope, there is joy, there is peace, there is a way to set our minds on the things that are above. And his name is Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We pray that you would help us to commit to it. We pray that you would help us to live by it. And we recognize that were it not for your grace, it would be impossible to do so. But Lord, as you spoke and as you said to your servants, in God all things are possible. And so Lord, we have an opportunity not only to recognize that we have been saved, not only to recognize that we've been forgiven, not only to recognize that we are no longer trapped in our sins, but also to recognize that we have been free to Christ, to give our minds to his truth, to seek his ways, and to obey his commands. Because first and foremost, Christ sought us. He set his mind towards saving sinners. And he gave his life for us who were dead so that we might live. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.